on today's Murder, She Wrote podcast, Jessica finds herself in New Orleans where she has to solve a murder, of course, to a jazz beat. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Murder, She Wrote podcast where I watch every single episode of the hit 80s slash 90s show Murder, She Wrote starring three-time Academy Award nominee and five-time Tony Award winner Miss Angela Lansbury. Today I'm going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 12, Murder to a Jazz Beat, air date February 3rd, 1985. Alright. This episode is pretty good, but it's also very problematic, and we're going to get into as to why. As always, if you're new to the Murder, She Wrote podcast, I spoil everything there is to spoil about the episode, the murder of the suspects, everything in between. You can't do a Murder, She Wrote podcast without doing that. So, if you have not recently watched this episode, you can do it one of four ways. If you own the DVDs like I do, get out see your season one disc set, insert disc four into your DVD player, and this is the second episode on that disc. If you do not own the DVDs, you can watch the episode for free, on IMDb TV app with limited commercial interruption as well as on NBC's Peacock app with limited commercial interruption or if you own Amazon Prime. And since Hallmark just started rerunning Murder, She Wrote after showing Christmas movies for almost three months, you might have recently seen this episode or maybe you haven't. But anyway, here we go. This episode is very special to me in a way that it was a turning point for when I started doing my podcast. I initially started my podcast on YouTube on November of 2019. I had attempted to do a Baywatch podcast, but let's just say that that was not a good show to do a podcast on because it's not good. Um, So I bought myself an early Christmas slash birthday present of all 12 seasons of Murder, She Wrote, because it seemed to me whenever they would show it on TV, they wouldn't show it in order, and I had always wanted to see the episodes in their entirety with no commercials. So I thought this would be the perfect present for myself, because it seemed that every single time it was on streaming and I would go to watch it, it would be taken off before I could finish So I decided to do a podcast on YouTube because I didn't really know that much about podcasts and I didn't know anything about this anchor thing here that I'm doing it on now. And at first, you know, I thought no one would care, no one would listen. And then I found these Facebook groups and started posting it in there. Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote was one of them. And now it was called All Things Murder, She Wrote, and now it's called Murder, She Wrote Fans. But um, I started posting in there, and I started gaining confidence to continue to do the episodes. Well, when I got to this episode, you know how I'm always on here saying that when Murder, She Wrote originally premiered on September 30th, 1984, it was a pilot movie. And But for some reason, when they sold it into syndication, they syndicated the pilot movie into two different parts, making it episode one and two. But the official first episode of the show is Deadly Lady. That's episode one. And you deduce from that number to this and you get to episode 12. Well, I got so wrapped up in doing the podcast, you know, back then, that I messed up the episode numbers and it wasn't until I was recording that I realized what I had done so I don't know about any of you out there but anyone who suffers from ADHD like I do knows that when you make a mistake you feel like that's it no one is going to listen to you again no one is going to care because you have been saying the wrong episode number And I overly apologized in my tweet. I overly apologized posting it in the group. I overly apologized when I was 
talking about the episode and apologized in my show notes, apologized on YouTube, had to go back and retitle every video I had done thus far and had to explain that even though it said that number on the collage that I would make, because I would sometimes make collages as a visual aid for someone to look at while they were listening to the episode, I would have to say, ignore what that says, because it's actually this number. Because it is confusing, and it does get confusing because of the way that they did it when it was syndicated. And on the DVD, you can see the pilot movie in its entirety. You know, because I think by syndicating it into different parts, they cut a lot of stuff out. And they also tried to insert the Tonight on Murder, She Wrote um, when it starts. And they also tried to insert the opening credits, which did not happen until the first episode. But anyway, so I thought I'd made the worst mistake. No one's going to listen to this again. Again, I mean, how... Um, how could I mess up the episode numbers when I'm constantly saying, you know, that they're messed up? And I'm thinking, well, this is it. I'm done. I'm finished. Well, then this person, I wish I could remember his name, wish I knew who he was, commented on, in one of the groups, commented, people make mistakes. It doesn't matter that you messed up the episode numbers and it doesn't matter when you post an episode because we're going to listen to you no matter what because you are funny. You are educating us about where they filmed the episode and and you're funny and we enjoy listening to you. People make mistakes. Don't worry about it. And that gave me confidence like you would never know. And I continued doing the podcast throughout 2020 finished season one around Christmas of 2020 and then was really reaching a fever pitch in the su- in, in summer of 2021 last year and then my computer crashed and I started doing the podcast all over again on here and I love doing it on here you know because it's more freer because even though there were a lot of people that knew I was doing a podcast. There were still people that would go on there and comment on some of the videos and go, why aren't you letting the episode play? Why, why are you just talking? I don't understand. And I would have to say, it clearly says podcast, you know? And I didn't think that I could start all over again and get to this episode again. But I have. And the people from the Facebook group followed me over and they're listening to me too. So thank you so much for your continued support, guys. And all the other listeners around the world and who've been listening to me, thank you so much. I am, I am so happy. And I'm in it for the long haul. I'm going to do it until I get to the end. It may take years and years, but I'm going to do it. So sorry that I got so personal there, and if you're still with me, (laughs) let's get into this episode. And honestly, it's a very problematic episode. I mean, it, it lacks, I don't know what the other episodes, it lacks like character development, it lacks letting us get to know the characters before something bad happens, and you can totally tell that this was not filmed in New Orleans. This is the first episode that is supposed to be set there, but but it was not filmed there. And you can tell, and I'm going to point out some things that I just noticed while watching it again for the first time in a long time. So this episode starts um, with an ex- with stock footage, and I'm assuming it's stock footage because I've never been to New Orleans. I've always wanted to go. I've heard such wonderful stories about that city and how it was the birthplace of jazz. Although one would argue that they say Chicago was the birthplace of jazz, but a lot of people say New Orleans. But um, we see this wonderful shot and, it, and there's a boat going under a bridge. I don't, I don't know 
if that is supposed to be New Orleans, but I'm guessing since they showed it, it's supposed to be. Um, Jessica's in a cab with a cab driver named Lafayette, played by Garrett Morris, um, who is a hilarious, hilarious dude who had a recurring role on Two Broke Girls. And he is hilarious in this episode, although I don't know what they were trying to do with his character. And I'm going to get into it. So he is going to, he's taking Jessica to a TV studio to be on a show called New Orleans Today. And they're doing that old timey effect where the car is on rollers and they're playing the footage of someone driving, you know, that someone took while they were driving. But in this thing, in this episode, it shows because the cars that they're showing look like they're from the 1940s. And it doesn't look like they're from 1985 or 1984, whenever this was supposedly supposed to be filmed and aired on February 3rd, 1985. So, <laughs> so she has to get to the taping and Lafayette says, Miss Jessica, are you some kind of celebrity? And she says, hardly. <laughs> and she says, the taping should be in about 15 minutes. And he says, well, why didn't you say so? And he jerks the car and they get there. And he said, we would have been here faster if it weren't for that train. And she says, well, what about my luggage? He says, I'll take it to the hotel for you. No problem. And when she... When she gets out of the cab and is about to go into the place, there was three things I noticed. One was this was the same building that they used in the last episode, Broadway, My Lady, as the theater, because it looks exactly the same. And also... There's the Hollywood Walk of Fame is underneath Angela Lansbury's feet as she walks into the building. And when she goes to walk in the building, you can tell that she wasn't supposed to walk into that building. It was just used as an exterior shot because she walks towards the door like she's going to open it and she can't open it. And she stops and she looks like, oh, I'm not supposed to go in, right? Okay. And then you look at the set when she goes into what is supposed to be a studio, but looks like a theater. It is the same theater they used in the previous episode. Only it has the New Orleans Today set on, top, on, on it instead of what it had in the previous episode. That was supposed to be New York. I noticed that. And I didn't notice that the first time that I did this, that I recorded this episode. I don't even know what I said when I recorded this episode the first time on YouTube. But anyway, um, she's looking around and there's no cameraman, there's no audience, there's nothing. It's completely and utterly bare. And she's calling for Jonathan and she's like, what is going on? You know, and... He sees her and he comes down and he says, Jessica, what are you doing here? And she says, I'm here for the taping. And he says, no, that's Wednesday the 15th. She goes, what? So she sits down on one of the chairs and she looks in her book and she looks and she goes, oh no, I transposed the dates. I'm supposed to be de dedicating a new children's library 40 minutes ago. And he says, well, I think they probably worked out now that you're not coming. I got you right where I want you. I'm going to show you New Orleans. I'm going to show you what there is to see. And Lafayette offered to show her the sights of New Orleans as well. But, you know, whatever. Um, so they decide to go to a restaurant. And in the French Quarter, which everyone says is like the greatest place to go in New Orleans. I don't know. Again, never been there. Would like to go someday, but who knows if that's going to happen. But uh, 
I don't know what restaurant that they're in. There's an exterior shot of something, and it honestly doesn't look like something that would be in New Orleans. I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but it goes by so fast, and it's also in French. So I don't know. But the restaurant itself is a big, elaborate set with really high ceilings and those divider things, you know, that people sometimes go behind and change are like standing up in the middle of the restaurant with musical notes on them. I don't know exactly what kind of restaurant this is supposed to be. Um, but Jonathan and Jessica stand in like one spot and he's like, you can hear all the jazz in the world if, if you stand on this one spot here. And then they go and they run into Eddie Winters, um, who is getting coffee for Ben. Um, Eddie is played by Stan Shaw, who I think was in Daylight with Sylvester Stallone, one of my favorite disaster movies, which is like a combination of the Poseidon Adventure and Speed, where they're in the tunnel in New York and it gets... And, like, a bunch of trucks are taking some toxic waste somewhere, and a car ends up crashing into it, and it blows up the tunnel. It's a really good movie. I love it. And I think that he played George. I also think he played Big George in Fried Green Tomatoes, but I'm not sure. But he's a good actor. Really, really good actor. And, um... So we go to the table with him because he says he's getting coffee for Ben. Ben don't like his coffee if it ain't hot. So they go to his table and Ben is having, we get introduced to Ben Coleman, a very talented jazz musician. And he looks so familiar to me. He's a black, he's black. Um, and he looks familiar to me. I've seen him somewhere before and he's having a meeting his manager, Aaron Kramer, is there. And two random guys who we never see again. I think they have something to do with the Vegas thing. Because he's going to Vegas. He's taking his act to Vegas. He's leaving New Orleans. And he's going to Vegas. And he's apparently dropping the various members of his band. And as if on cue, I kid you not. No sooner does Mrs. Fletcher sit down. She gets introduced to Ben Coleman. He pulls out a chair. She sits next to him. Aaron Kramer says, You're J.B. Fletcher. You wrote all those wonderful books, but they kept me up. You see these bags under my eyes? You did this to me. And she says, Well, I'm glad you enjoyed my books. <laughs> and then, as if on cue, here comes members of Ben's band, Hubie, Heck and Herbie, although I don't think Herbie is there. We get introduced to Herbie later. And, and Hubie, you know, is very, very heavy set, wearing glasses. And he says, is it true? Are you dropping us, Ben? Are you going to drop Callie too? And Callie is his wife, but there was a woman at the table that was fawning all over him in front of Mr. Kramer and, and he didn't like it because, you know, he, he, he respects Callie. But, um, and Eddie just sort of doesn't sit down at the table. He just stands up and waits for Ben to taste the coffee and then Ben nods at him like, yes, it's good. I mean, I didn't understand that. And then he says, are you dumping, or Hubie says, are you dumping Callie too? And he says, no, just you three. And he says, damn it, Ben, I nursed you. I taught you everything that you know. I even split the last bean on a plate for you, and you're throwing me away. I ought to kill you, Ben. And now, I don't know about any of you all out there, but if I sat down at a table and, and met somebody for the first time, and this started happening. I would get up and walk away. This is not my business. I don't know this man. And whatever is going on is not, you know, it's nothing that I can do. It's nothing that I can stop from happening. So 
I would have gotten up and would have said, okay, it was nice to meet you. I'm going to go now. I don't know what's going on. Thank you very much for, for this nice introduction. But Jessica just sits there and does not get up. And Mr. Kramer does not get up or to do anything. And neither does Eddie. He just sort of stands there and just, they just watch. And nobody else in the restaurant seems to be, you know, it doesn't seem to interest them at all. They're just doing whatever they're doing. Well, Ben gets up and goes to Hubie and he grabs Hubie's stomach and says, Oh, but you won't because all your guts are right there behind what you call a stomach. And Mr. Kramer says, Oh, don't worry, guys. Like Ben walks away. And, and he says, don't worry, guys, I have all kinds of contacts. I can get you another gig. And Hubie says, well, not in Ben's class. And they all walk away. So, Mr. Kramer apologizes to Mrs. Fletcher for her witnessing that altercation. And then he says, well, we're having a taping tonight, sort of like a farewell before Ben goes off to Las Vegas, and it's being taped for the studio that Jonathan works at. Would you like to come? And Mrs. Fletcher's like, well, I'm not entirely sure. And Jonathan goes, she'll be there. And I'm like, seriously, dude? Like, why, why would you just randomly just say that she's going to be there and not even ask her if she wants to go? So... Later that night, they're having the taping in a barn, and it's called the Bourbon Street Barn. There's a sign out front. Um, I don't know if this would be something that would be in New Orleans again. Never been there, so I'm not entirely sure. But they go in. Backstage, we finally get an introduced to Callie, played by Olivia Cole, who is in the miniseries North and South, based on the book by John Jakes, which if you're interested in the Civil War, I suggest that you read the books. Um, the movie is as accurate as it could possibly be, although it took several liberties with the books in my opinion, but it's a really good attention to detail miniseries that they don't make nowadays. So it's awesome. And there are so many good actors and actresses in that. And Olivia Cole is one of them. Um, Eddie comes into the room and he gives a rose to Callie and she says, what's this for? And he says, because you're special. And she says, well, you're special too, Eddie. And she said, what have you been doing? He said, oh, me and Ben's been talking. He's not going to take heck Herbie and Hubie up to Las Vegas with us. I know Hubie told me. And also... He was with that girl again. I know she won't last any longer than the others have. You know, Callie, sometimes I don't like Ben. And she says, neither do. Sometimes I don't either. But we can't help but love him, can we? And he says, I guess not. And I don't know if Eddie is supposed to be slow, like have a learning disability, um... Or something like, I don't know exactly what they were going there. They never explain it. I don't get what they were going for there. That's another, that's why I say that there was not a lot of character development between these characters. So Mrs. Fletcher and Jonathan arrive after this and they come backstage, I guess, to see Mr. Kramer. Well, Mr. Kramer is having an argument with Ben in a storage room. And again, instead of walking away and being like, well, obviously we shouldn't be here. Obviously we shouldn't be listening to this. They just stand there and wait until he comes out. And then he says, oh, I'm so sorry, Mrs. Fletcher. You've heard of what it's like arguing with friends. And she says, I've, I, I hear that it clears the air. And again, this is yet another confrontation she has witnessed between 
you know, of someone threatening this dude. I mean, one guy's already said, I should kill you, Ben. And then the other guy goes, and Mr. Kramer goes, you won't last one day without me in Las Vegas. You're on your way out. You're going to fail miserably before he goes back out. Then he said, then he said, he apologizes. And then he says, I have seats for us. I wouldn't have stayed after that. But she does for some reason. I don't know. Meanwhile, Ben goes to Cali to get some gum because apparently he chews gum while he's playing. I don't know if that's a common thing among people who uh, play instruments because I never did that in high school. I couldn't. I did not have the air or the hand-eye coordination to be able to play an instrument. I tried to play that recorder thing once. Could not do it. It made absolutely no sense to me. But anyway, so... Ben says, I don't know why I do this, why I'm eating this gum. And she says, well, gum was your idea. It's so your lips don't get dry while you're playing. And uh, she said, I heard that you don't want to take the band with us. They've been with us for years. It seems wrong to leave them behind. He says, what, you got spies on me now? He said, it wouldn't surprise me if you did. She said, no. And he said, I just don't know about us anymore. And she said, well, if you want your freedom, all you got to do is ask. And he says, oh, you know, don't work that way. You and I will be together until one of us draws our last breath forevermore. And then he walks away. The concert gets underway. Hubie is playing a big... Uh, cello Herbie is playing something similar to that and Heck is playing the drums Callie apparently plays the piano and Ben is the main attraction the concert goes on for several hours I'm not entirely sure how long Jessica tap tap taps her foot along to the music and then Jonathan gets, gets up and announces that an old jazz musician that is no longer alive gave Ben his clarinet, Miss Emma. Which, I have an Aunt Emma, and I love her dearly. And when he said Miss Emma, it reminded me of her, even though it was a clarinet. I love my Aunt Emma. She's just so great. She's my best friend. But anyway... um. They called the clarinet Miss Emma, and he's going to play it as a tribute to this this uh, jazz musician whose name I did not catch. Ben takes a break, takes another piece of gum, and drinks some coffee. And then he starts to play. Eddie just stands up during this whole is standing up during this whole concert and is making like interesting weird facial expressions like along to the music and Ben's playing and he's doing really really good and then suddenly he falls down dead a doctor just so happens to be there because of course convenient and says that Ben is dead, and that he died from a massive coronary. Mrs. Fletcher tells him that that is not how he died. That he died from poison. And Jonathan says, this is like something out of your books. And she says, I'm afraid it is. So we then get introduced to this lieutenant in this episode, which is not an improvement over the last lieutenant in the last episode. In the last episode, the lieutenant didn't seem to want to solve anything and was eating carrots and doing stomach crunches and doing just generally weird stuff this one is not a very good improvement no sorry he is not he comes on the scene and the doctor tells him i say he died from a massive coronary but she's saying poison so he walks over and says who are you and jonathan begins to introduce himself he says i know who you are i don't know this lady and she says, I'm Jessica Fletcher. 
And he says, well, I was wondering, where did you get your degree? And she said, where did you get your degree, Miss Fletcher? Because the doctor over there says a massive corny, but you say poison. She says, Mrs. Fletcher. And I write mystery novels. And in my latest one, Murder on the Amazon, I came across a fascinating derivative, a rare poison that works just the way it seems that Mr. Coleman has just died. And he said, well, Mrs. Fletcher, that is fascinating. But don't think I'm stupid. I can see a publicity stunt, and this is one if I ever did see one. And if the coroner goes over his body and does not find any poison, I will rest you on contempt in disrupting a police investigation. Now, do you still say poison? And Mrs. Fletcher is unfrazed when she says in chapter 13, be in my office first thing in the morning. And he walks away. Then the station manager wants to use the footage of Ben dying on camera to show on the morning news or the the ten the eleven o'clock news. Jonathan is totally against it and says it's barbaric that Ben Coleman died on camera and that it's not right for them to show his death. They decide to go talk to the station manager. Mr. Kramer offers to take Mrs. Fletcher out to eat for a nightcap because nobody's going to be able to sleep that night. And when the police come in and Mrs. Fletcher says poison, Callie immediately takes the coffee cup off of the, off of the piano and puts it in her purse. More on why she did that later. So they go to a random restaurant that I don't think is in New Orleans because it doesn't make any sense. There's a waterfall. I don't know. Um, and near their table, in the center of their table, there's a woman playing piano. Mr. Kramer says that this is a this is a really good jazz musician, Miss Mama Cleo, and that they're spread throughout New Orleans and just haven't found any good work for him. He doesn't play a note, but he has a good ear and tries to get him jobs and such. But he admits that Ben was on his way out, was on his way to burn out. The gum and the coffee was a way for him to try to stop the drugs, but it just wouldn't work. And now he's dead. Later the next day, Mrs. Fletcher is in the Lieutenant Kershaw's office. And they're watching the news that aired the previous night. And they showed Ben dying on the floor. And he says, well, I should have known that Jonathan Wyman would sell out. And as if on cue, Jonathan appears in the doorway and says, and you'd be wrong. The station manager insisted upon airing that footage, and I was not for it, so I quit. And then Mrs. Fletcher says, it looks like you celebrated. He said, maybe I did have a few drinks, so. And then Lieutenant Kershaw says, okay, so I made a mistake. And Jonathan says, well, you made another one if you don't listen to Mrs. Fletcher. If she says he died by poison, then he did. He puts his hand up to silence him. He goes to his desk and says, I roused that bookshop owner to get this book. He takes it out, puts it on the table in front of Mrs. Fletcher, who looks at it. And he said, I had the coroner look in the lining of his stomach and he found the poison just like in your book. And he said, then that proves that she was right. Then he sits down and he says, Ben Coleman was nothing but a street punk. Several years ago, I had him and his brother dead to rights robbing a gas station. 
but his girlfriend, Callie, insisted that they was with her. Several years ago, Ben's brother died in a street fight, and now Ben has gotten his. And that's racist. I mean, like, he's just saying that he's a street punk. He obviously turned himself around. I mean, he was a good jazz musician. I mean, why write him off like that? And I don't like this guy. I mean, he does not even apologize to Mrs. Fletcher and say, oh, yes, you were right. No, instead, he practically throws her book at her and and says that and doesn't know where the poison could have been. The coffee cup was missing and they're testing the pieces of gum. They have no idea where it could be. So, Mrs. Fletcher decides to track down Heck, Hubie, and Herbie. She comes, or, or no, they go to the studio to look at the footage of the three cameras that they had on Ben to try to figure out exactly when the poison could have been slipped in. But they realize that it wasn't in the coffee because Callie drank the coffee too, and she seems perfectly fine. The station manager then comes and says, you don't have permission to look at this. The lieutenant turns around and says, official police business. Then Mrs. Fletcher says, well, I had a theory about Ben Coleman's murder and I was going to say it on Jonathan's show, but unfortunately Jonathan doesn't have any show anymore. So I guess I'm going to have to go to your competitor. And he says, well, things can't be changed. And, uh, Lieutenant Kershaw says, you do have a theory? Because I'm completely stumped. She says, not yet, but I had to say something because that man, it just annoys me. So then she comes out of the studio and Lafayette is, is there. I don't know if she called him or, or what he's doing there, but he's just there. And she says, now you can find anyone in the city, right, Lafayette? And he says, yes, Miss Jessica, I can. She said, well, I want to find Hubie and Heck, the members of Ben Coleman's band. And somehow he manages to find them. They're at a restaurant, auditioning to be the band at the restaurant, I guess. Mrs. Fletcher comes in, listens to them, claps. The guy says, maybe you'll have a few performances at the end of the week, but not right now. And then he says, lady, we open at five, so I don't know you know, what time it's supposed to be at this time in this scene. But Heck is the first one to say, well, isn't it obvious? She's not here to cheer us on. She's here to pin Ben's murder on one of us. Hubie steps forward and says, well, I'd be the obvious suspect, wouldn't I, ma'am? Since I'm the one that said I wanted to kill him, but I didn't. And she said, no, could you guys think of anyone who would want to kill him? And... They said, well, maybe Mr. Kramer. And Hubie is the first one to be like, no, Mr. Kramer is not a murderer. And he tries his best. And Heck goes, well, he's not a good manager. He ain't going to get us anything. He ain't going to help us now. He, his reputation is he's a terrible manager. He doesn't help anybody. So Mrs. Fletcher comes out of the restaurant. And Mr. Kramer just so happens to show up there. I don't know exactly how or why he's there, but he's there. He pulls up right behind Lafayette. And she comes out and he says, What a coincidence, Jessica, that we was to run into each other. I needed to talk to you anyway. And, he's, and she said, Oh, did you come to see them audition? And he said, oh, are the boys in there? And she said, yeah. He said, well, I don't want to see him now. I really need to talk to him. And for some reason, Lafayette doesn't seem to want Jessica to go, but no explanation is given as to why. Like he says, Miss Jessica, are you, Miss Jessica is my fair. And are you sure you want to go with him? Due to the circumstances. 
And he and Mr. Kramer says, do I know you? And he says, no, but I know all there is to know about you. And no explanation is given as to how Lafayette knows this or why he doesn't want her to go with him. And she tells him, she tells Lafayette, she says, it's okay. It's fine. It's no big deal. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go. So he says, okay. And they're in Mr. Kramer's car. Mr. Kramer explains that Ben was about to burn out because he was still doing drugs and that they were smuggling stuff in, but not drugs. They were smuggling in NFTs and different things like that. Nothing illegal, but apparently you're not allowed to bring that stuff back. I don't know the history of that. And I decided I'm not going to research it because it's probably something complicated and I don't really want to know that much about it. But anyway, anyway, so at this point, Mrs. Fletcher says there's no excuse for drugs. And he says, no, we didn't smuggle them in, smuggled other things in. I didn't know that Ben had smuggled the drugs in until we came back. So they have Ben's funeral at the place where he died. This did not make any sense to me. Because why would they have it in the place where he died? It makes no sense. It's the Bourbon Street barn that they had the concert in. And everybody is going up and looking at his dead body. And then... uh, Mr. Lieutenant Kershaw comes in and Eddie has just put the clarinet on Ben's dead body and he arrests Mr. the manager, Mr. Mr. Kramer and for smuggling and says that he obviously killed Ben as been because of the smuggling and that the only other place that it could be the poison was is on the reef on the clarinet he goes to grab it eddie doesn't want him to take it says that the only person that was that had that was allowed him or ben no one else so he gets drug away because he won't let it go the next morning Mrs. Fletcher is is in Lieutenant Kershaw's office once again. And she says that Mr. Kramer had no motive to kill Ben. That he did not know about the drugs until after they came back. Before Lieutenant Kershaw could understand that, he gets a call from the lab. They have found no trace of poison or anything on the reef. It was clean as a whistle. So they're back to square one. Mrs. Fletcher, go. Uh, Jonathan gets his job back. And she has to be on his show. Jonathan begins to get into another argument with the station manager. And Mrs. Fletcher is mesmerized by a stain removal commercial that they are uh, filming in the studio somewhere. And then she has an epiphany. She goes outside, she calls for a taxi, and once again, Lafayette is there. I don't understand. Is there not any other cab drivers in New Orleans? I don't know. But what he says next is so hilarious. He says, so you finally decided to take me up on your on my sightseeing tour? She said, I want to go to the cemetery to St. Charles Cemetery, and he says, ma'am, of all the nice places in New Orleans, that place is dead. <laughs> so she goes to the cemetery, and they're playing, oh, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in, how I want to be in that number, when the saints go marching in. Thank you, thank you very much, hope I did that good. As the people go, go out, and Claudia says, 
or Callie says, sorry. <laughs> Mrs. Fletcher, it's so good of you to come. And Eddie says, I thought Mr. Kramer was my friend, but he's not. And Mrs. Fletcher says, yes, he was, Eddie. And so am I. Well, why did he take away Miss Emma? The clarinet. Oh, because Lieutenant Kershaw thought that that Mr. Kramer had poisoned Ben. But there was no poison on the reef. Then the police were wrong, says Callie. No, I'm afraid not. Callie, when I said poison, you took the cup of coffee off of the piano and slipped it into your purse. No, I did not. And when you heard me say that he was poisoned, you knew that he could only be poisoned one way, in one way only. And that was... You knew exactly who killed your husband. And Eddie says, but you said there was no poison on the reef. She says, yes, Eddie, there was no poison on the reef. There was nothing on the reef. Ben has a tendency to drink black coffee when he was playing. There would have been a stain on there, but there was nothing. You switched the reeves. Now why would you do that? I, I wanted to clean it in, in case Ben wanted to play it up there, wherever he was going. And then the truth comes out. Well, when we was in South Africa, Ben said he didn't love Callie no more. He said that if he left her, she'd go to the cops and she'd tell him that, that we were not with her the night that we robbed that gas station. And Callie did that because she loved Ben. So Ben got the poison and he was going to kill Callie. But I couldn't let him do that. So I did. I did it. I did it. And then it ends with him crying on Callie's shoulder. And the end credits commence. We don't know if Callie knew that Ben was going to poison her. We don't know if she was going to tell on them. We don't know if Lieutenant Kershaw ever learns the truth and how he handles this realization because like I said, I think he was racist. Saying that Ben was nothing but a street punk. I mean, I don't, I like, I think that's horrible. I mean, the man was a famous jazz musician. He turned his life around. I don't understand why he had to criticize him like that. And this episode felt like way too fast-paced. You know, we don't get to know that much about Ben before he gets killed. We don't know that much about Eddie or or Callie or any of these players, you know? And it's really sad. It feels like a filler episode, even though there's no main storyline. But let's go over the guest stars. Because that's always fun. Alright, so Olivia Cole played Callie. I think this might be her only episode where she wrote, I'm not sure. Oh, she passed away in 2018 at the age of 75. She's known for Roots, the original 1977 Roots, Backstairs at the White House, Something About Amelia, and First Sunday. First Sunday is her last credit in 2008. Oh, and she will be in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So we will go over her credentials then. But she's a good actress. And I know she was in uh, um, North and South. I know she was in that. And she was good in that. Bradford Dillman played our racist Lieutenant Kershaw. He looked familiar, but I couldn't place him. He passed away also in 2018 at the age of 87. 
He is known for The Enforcer, Sudden Impact, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and Compulsion. Wow. He will appear in a grand total of eight episodes of Murder, She Wrote. So hopefully he'll play some better characters than he did in, in this one. So we'll go over more of his credentials, and I gotta remember that. That he's gonna be in there. Uh, George Kirby played the role of Hubie, the one that threatened to kill Ben. He passed away at the in 1995 at the age of 72. He is known for Trouble in Mind, a movie in 1995, 227, Dolly, and Ernie Tale Theater. His last known credit is something called, a TV movie called You Must Remember This. Oh, Dolly was a TV series. He played Louis, Louis Armstrong. This is his only episode of Mercy Road. He was also on Fame. Give me a break. I love that that show. Nail Carter was so good. Love American style. Roman and Martin's Laugh-In. He wasn't in a lot of stuff. He was only in uh, 23 different things. 227 was a really good um, show as well. Weird casting Mara Grubbs as Jackie Harry's mother on Days of Our Lives. Cameron Mitchell played Mr. Kramer. He died in 1994 at the age of 75. He lived a long time. He was born on November 4th, 1918. Interesting. He is known for A High Corral, How to Marry a Millionaire, Monkey on My Back, and Hollywood Cop. 1987. His last known credit is How's That Possible? Sometimes this can not be accurate because if he died in 1994, how was he in something in 2018? But his last known official credit is Jacko. I don't know what that is. He guest starred on Madlock. Simon and Simon. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was on High Crest in McCormick, or Hardcastle in McCormick, sorry, Knight Rider. Kenny Rogers as the Gambler, the adventure continues. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers TV series. I didn't know that they turned that into a TV series. Fantasy Island. The Incredible Hawk, Magnum P.I., Charlie's Angels. The Littlest Hobo, Mrs. Colombo, Hawaii Five-O, Greatest Heroes of the Bible. Oh, he was in The Swarm, <laughs> a really weird movie. Black Beauty TV miniseries, Police Story, Quincy M. Nee, Testimony of Two Men, uh, Flood, that was a good one. Swiss Family Robinson TV series, SWAT TV series, Kojak, Gunsmoke, Ironside. So he had a long career. He was like in like a lot of things, Mission Impossible, Night Gallery. Good for him. I just think that that is wrong that he was in something in 2018. If he died in 1994, he wasn't in that. Like I said, Garrett Morris played Lafayette, the cab driver. He is still alive. 
and his birthday will be coming up on February 1st, 1937. He is known for Coneheads, Saturday Night Live, Ant-Man, and How High. He is currently filming a TV series called Antibody Heat. He has been in 110 different things. He's been on This Is Us, the remake of MacGyver, and he played Earl on Two Broke Girls. Love that show. And I think this is his probably his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was on According to Jim, Justice League did some voice work there, The Jamie Foxx Show, He was in City of Angels, Martin, the Wayne Brothers, ER, I love ER. Married with Children, who's the boss, 227, The Love Boat, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, The Twilight Zone. The Pound Puppies, Hill Street Blues, yeah, only episode Murray wrote. Oh, he was in the new Scooby-Doo Mysteries, The Jeffersons, The Invisible Woman, Saturday Night Live. He was one of the first people, one of the first cast members on Saturday Night Live when it originally was on the air in 1975. Yeah, he's... He's hilarious. Oh, he was on General Hospital as well. So he has a long career. He's awesome. Um, Ed Nelson played the role of the annoying uh, TV manager, Carl Truman. I couldn't remember his name when I was covering it. He died in 2014 at the age of 85. He is known for who Am I, 1998, Police Academy 3, Riding with Death, and Runaway Jury, 2003. His last known credit is Runaway Jury. And he will appear in five more episodes of Murder, Shirt. So we'll go over his credentials then. Clyde Rival played Jonathan. He was a British, British actor. He is still alive. He is known for the private life of Sherlock Holmes, Transformers the movie cartoon, and Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. His last known credit is something called The Queen of Spades. He did some voiceover work for Robin Hood and his Merry Mouse, Tom and Jerry. He did voiceover work for Star Wars, the old Republic video game. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen video game. Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. He was the narrator. Peter Pan 2, Return to Neverland. So he did a lot of voiceover work. Godzilla, the cartoon series. Pinky and the Brain. Step by Step. Touched by an Angel. Puss in Boots. Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. I'm starting to watch that on HBO Max. The Jungle Book video game. Babylon 5, The Little Mermaid TV series. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, that was a good movie. Tom and Jerry, Kids Show, Batman, the Animated Series, love that. Oh, he voiced Alfred. Oh, Tiny Toon Adventures, Star Trek The Next Generation, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, Cartoon Series, Pendleton the Bear, Dear John, that was a good show. The Smurfs, love the Smurfs. Alfred Hitchcock Presents, 
And he will appear in one later episode of Murder, She Wrote, 1988. So we'll go over more of him. But he did a lot of voiceover work for cartoons. Awesome. He does kind of have that voice. All right. Stan Shaw played Eddie, our murderer. At least I think he was the murderer. He is still alive. He is known for, yes, I was right, Daylight, Cutthroat Island, The Monster Squad, and Rising Sun. Was he in Fried Green Tomatoes, or am I confusing him with someone else? He is still alive. He is no, he, uh, last known credit is The Pale Door, as Lester. He was on Criminal Minds, Jeepers Creepers 3, The Young and the Restless, as a Reverend. CSI in 2009, The X-Files. He will be in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. He was in North and South Book 3. I haven't seen that one all the way through, so I don't know. Yes! And he was in Fried Green Tomatoes as Big George. I knew it. Such a good actor. Can't wait to see him in the other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Bobby Sherman played the role of Jimmy Heck. He is still alive. He is known for Shining. Um, I guess that was like a TV show. Bad Santa, Christine, and Here Come the Brides TV show. His last known credit as an actor is on Frasier as himself. This is his only episode of Murder, She Wrote. He was on The Love Boat, The Misadventures of Sheriff Lobo, Fantasy Island, Flying High, Emergency, Mod Squad, Getting Together, it's a TV show, The Partridge Family, Here Come the Brides, and The Monkees. And he is a singer. He's done some soundtrack stuff. And last but not least, Ben Coleman was played by Glenn Truman. He is still alive and he is known for Super 8, 2011, John Dies at the End, Ma Remy's Black Bottom, and Sahara. He is... Doing, oh, he's going to be in the Proud Family reboot that Disney is doing. He's been in Women of the Movement, which is something I really want to watch, but like I didn't know about it. Now I'm like lost. Hopefully they'll have it on streaming. Fargo, Day by Day, Mr. Mercedes. He's been in a lot of things. American Gods, How to Get Away with Murder, Bumblebee. Queen Sugar House of Lies. NCIS Los Angeles. Funnier Die Presents. He was in Burlesque. Southland. ER. Cold Case. The Wire. All of Us. Law and Order SVU. The Bernie Mac Show. Law and Order Criminal Intent. Touched by an Angel. The Magnificent Seven. How Stella Got Her Groove Back. That was a good movie. A Different World. Awesome show. Freddy's Nightmares. Oh, he'll appear in two other episodes of Murder, She Wrote. He's in the Twilight Zone. Gremlins, that's what I know him from. He was he was the guy that the teacher that gets killed by the gremlin when it comes to life when he eats the sandwich. Now I know who he is. And Yep, that's it. That's it. This was a really 
problematic episode, and I really wanted to know a little bit more of the characters. And I'm so happy that I'm on the Anchor app now, because it's so fun to do the podcast on here instead of on YouTube. Um, And I just want to say one more thing before I end this. The singer Meatloaf, who was known for being in the Rocky Horror Picture Show and singing that song, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that, died um, at the age of 60, I think. And then Louis Anderson, a comedian who hosted Family Feud before Steve Harvey did in the early 2000s, I remember fondly, um, died at 65 due to blood cancer. I don't know what blood cancer is, but, and also Regina King from 227, um, Academy Award-winning actress and director, son, died via suicide, and my prayer, my thoughts and prayers go out to their families, um, it's really sad. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I hope you have a good day, night, depending on when you listen to this. Happy crime solving, and I'll see you in the next one, where we find ourselves on a cruise ship with Leslie Nielsen as the captain and Vicki Lawrence as one of the passengers One in one of my favorite episodes. Thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you in the next one.